Brian Koberger did it, or is it that he's innocent despite a mountain of evidence against him? One thing is for sure, he's got a very good lawyer, someone who has previous ties to one of the victims of the Moscow Ripper. In this case file, I talk about defending him against the prosecution and what it's going to take for them to make it an airtight case. Next, I give you my reasons. You're listening to Drowning Verdict. Be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite listening platform. We don't want you to miss out on an important case or update. If you haven't already, pull the trigger and subscribe. How do you defend someone in a murder case when everything points to them being guilty? Do you start with their innocence and just go with that? Or do you say in the back of your mind that they are guilty and you're going to try to prove innocence? Well, I'm going to talk about that here today on Drowning Verdict. This is Chip Mahoney. I want to welcome you to my true crime podcast where I talk about fascinating cases just like this one. I go more in depth with the case. So thank you for joining me today. You might have found me on my TikTok where I've got some clips there of the show. If it led you to my YouTube, that's a good place to be. Got full episodes there, the most popular ones, plus my other show called Shill Kill, where I pair crypto and a crime together at the same time. So if you've got an interest in all that, as I do, consider a sub, consider The Lobster for a time. Drowning Verdict is featured on Spotify. You can find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts out there in the podverse, that known universe where all that content swirls and swirls about I'm there to provide maybe a unique angle, a new idea, definitely a topic of convo to keep the conversation going on open and active cases, important cases, just like this one. So if you've heard me before, and it wasn't just a drive-by, you're pulling the crossover SUV back around, dropping the clip on me, I definitely appreciate that. Know that I try to get bigger and better for you each and every time, and often give you a reason for being here. No different today because I'm talking about another installment in the Moscow Ripper case file, something I'm calling Defending Koberger. Because let's face it, at this time right now, it's all about those little things that you don't want to turn into big things later on. Take care of the little details before some big disaster happens down the line. I've seen that a lot with airlines. They don't take care of one little thing on their plane, and then it builds, and it becomes more of a problem, and then you don't find out about it until there's a disaster, and I've seen that a lot. So you've got to take care of this stuff right now because the uh, prosecution here has got their work cut out for them. Let me tell you, they do. Reason being is that um, in this case, there is a lot of evidence. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence. You don't have a murder weapon, though. And you don't obviously you don't have a confession. And you've also got a lawyer who is representing, who is defending Koberger. And I think that she is somebody who revels in the spotlight. And that spotlight's getting bigger and bigger. And when it comes to trial, it's going to be very bright. And I think that she's going to be very good because this is her time to shine. 
It's her time to shine. I think that she's going to revel in this and do very well. So that could be a good thing for him. And it's a bad thing for everybody else. If you believe in this mountain of evidence that points to him being the ripper, the dude that gutted four college students. I think that, I think that for sure. Um, but again, it's 99.99 right now. So that other little thing is one of it is the lawyer here because there is a conflict of interest. She has represented one of the family members of one of the victims, at least one of the family members. I think there's another one somewhere, but at least one of them in a lesser case, I think in a drug case that was right around the start of January. And at the same time, she released herself from that case. She attached herself to defending Koberger. I wonder why, because in a place like Kootenai County, where this is all taking place and where the trial will be, it's about 175,000 people or so population there. So it's not too unusual to come across uh, people who are related to other people because it's kind of a big place and kind of a small place at the same time. So I think that's kind of, um, you know, not too uh, different there uh, from finding out about people and shenanigans that go back and forth between different things. But to attach herself and to release yourself from a previous case, to attach yourself to a big one like this and then not release yourself, I think that says that uh, it can open the door, that little thing that can open the door to an appeal down the line, down the road. Now, an appeal is a natural thing anyway, so that if you get a guilty verdict, you're going to appeal it. Okay, we can at least go through that. Uh, if they are found guilty, we can do the appeal process. But just because there is this conflict of interest, I think it just automatically opens that door. And I think it does release the defense here to be a little bit more flamboyant and just go after what they're going to do, whether they're going to come from the standpoint of this guy's innocent, we're going to prove it, or yeah, he he's probably guilty, but we're going to prove innocence at every single point. We're going to do a great job here because you know what? That spotlight is going to shine on this person. It already is. And because there is that spotlight and it is such an important case and it is so important for the families to get justice here, to not release yourself from this case, I think that says something about what's going to happen here. Because I think most people would say, hey, listen, I don't want there to be a conflict of interest. I don't care what it is. If they looked at me or something, any kind of conflict of interest, I'm taking myself out of the equation because I want justice here for the victims. That's the most important thing. So go ahead and assign somebody to take this case to defend Koberger who has no ties to it at all. They didn't represent one of the family members in a lesser case somewhere down the line in the same county. So take yourself out of that and just let it play out. But if you don't do that, seems to me that you want that spotlight. Seems to me that you're going to do your damn uh, best job in court and you're going to revel when court uh, happens and trial happens because the camera will likely be in the courtroom. I'm assuming that there's a good chance that it will be there. So that means the spotlight is going to be on you because the spotlight or the camera is going to be on the killer if they allow it. So I think it just makes for a big setting and it's a career maker for a lawyer. Now, I'm not saying that she's Gloria Allred and she's just an opportunist, um, something like that. 
but it does seem that this is a career making kind of thing. And I think that most people would take a step back and say, I'm going to take myself out of this equation. I'm going to have somebody else handle it. I don't want any conflict of interest anywhere because it's about the families finding justice, whether this guy did it or not. I just need to take myself out of the equation. I don't think that's going to happen here. So you have a mountain of evidence and you have a lot of circumstantial evidence, but you don't have a murder weapon and you do have DNA, but it's on a button snap. You can't necessarily put that knife inside that sheath. Can't necessarily do that. You got to find that murder weapon. I don't think you're going to have that. And I obviously don't think you're going to have a confession. So the guy's going to come from the standpoint that he did not do it and he wants to be exonerated from it. Well, how do you get exonerated for something where you have all this uh, DNA and you have tracking evidence and so on and so forth? Well, with the right lawyer defending you, somebody who revels in the spotlight, somebody who gets better when the cameras are on, somebody who knows how to do that and is wanting to do that because it's a career-making thing. I think that she's going to be able to poke holes in every aspect of this case, put the cops on trial, put anybody on trial but this guy. And I can see that happening. So what's important here? I think that you have to have more evidence. Uh, There is a shoe print. I've talked about that before. It's on the pathway of the killer. I don't know if they've been able to match a hundred percent that uh, shoe print, which is a faint diamond imprint from let's say a van type shoe that you can uh, really attach that to Koberger. I don't know if they can do that a hundred percent. I I've heard whispers that, yeah, they, they think he has the right shoes that match, but that puts him on the pathway of the killer. And I think that's really, really important here. Um, So that's one of the most important things I can see as far as evidence going is that shoe print. And of course you have the DNA on the button snap. And when it comes to the tracking evidence from the cell phone, from being there 12 times before the murders took place off, uh, off and on in different uh, occasions over the course of three to four months, let's say um, you can, you can tell a story for that. You can say that, yeah, well, he, He's a PhD. He's at uh, Washington State University, and they do have a PhD program at the University of Idaho. So maybe he was thinking about something that had to do with his major and was possibly looking at transferring to Idaho and just getting familiar with college life where people lived and maybe looking at places to stay and just being more involved in that community to kind of test it out because he's only 10 to 15 miles away. It's not like he drove 30 to 40 to 50 miles out of his way each time to stalk these people. No, he was about 10 miles away. And it was really easy for him to go about his regular routine because this is not out of his, uh, his area. So you can say that. You can say that and you can rip holes in that tracking evidence. And of course, that tracking evidence is really clear. Yeah, he was stalking them. But a lawyer can definitely use that. And with no murder weapon, it's kind of hard to put it in his hand, if you know what I'm saying. You could put his uh, thumbprint or his fingerprint on that button snap. But I think there's ways to say how it got there. And yeah, it's 100% true that, you know, in, in a rational mind that 
the guy did it. That's his DNA. The reason why he left it there is because, in my opinion, he left it on purpose, which was on the opposite side of his target. And I've talked about that in previous case files. But as far as court is concerned in proving that, you got to have that knife because you got to put that knife inside that sheath and you got to put the that knife with those those striations and those patterns in the bodies coming out back and forth you got to make sure uh, that you can put that uh, particular knife and have it fit in that sheath so i don't know if he was trying to say something there or playing around with uh, uh how the cops might uh find things but in previous case files i have talked about how Wherever that knife sheath lay is on the opposite side of his target. And if there wasn't any insignia on there, there was no uh, USMC uh, emblem or logo or any identification on there, then if he would have left that sheath, the killer I'm talking about, I think he would have put it right next to his target. But the fact that it did have lettering, I do think that he was trying to throw off the cops a little bit, saying that this guy might be ex-military. So wherever that knife sheath lay on the bed, on the opposite side, because there were two bodies, on the opposite side is the target. And I've said before, for one girl, they all died. You can listen to that in previous case files, previous episodes here on Drowning Verdict. So little things make for big things. And there's a lot of work cut out here because, yes, there's a mountain of circumstantial evidence. And no, I'm not a lawyer but I'm looking at this from previous experience and looking at this from how things go down in our society when the cameras are on, when the lights are on, and if the camera is allowed in the courtroom. I really think that this, this lawyer here, the person representing him, defending Koberger in court, I think that she's going to shine bright. The camera, if allowed in the courtroom, would be on the killer most of the time. She's sitting next to who I call the Moscow Ripper. She wants that spotlight and if she does not knowing her but if she truly does then i think that she can do really well in court she can hold court she can dramatize things and she can take some of that spotlight and really shine there and maybe she can defend him well but the fact that she is already in a conflict of interest even in this way that i've described that just means that door to the appeal process is already opened because in any other case uh, without that conflict, the door's not open yet. You got to start court. But right today, in this moment, the door's already open. Unless she were to say, you know what, I don't want any conflict of interest. And I want to make sure that the, the families get the justice. And it's just important for me to step away. She took herself off of another case, a lesser case, with no spotlight. And I, I just have to say that that's very odd to me. What about you? How do you think about it? Do you think that gives him an advantage in something where there is a mountain of evidence, stuff that we'll learn every day that comes out, it seems like, but by the time we get to court, I think that lawyer will still be with him. So this Chip Mahoney, thanks for hanging with me today on Drowning Verdict. I'll have more for you on the Moscow Ripper in the case file next time, but on this one, I'm out. See you next time. Good night.